thankful to be here this morning. Uh, Ryan asked me if I wanted to do this this morning, and at first I said nope, and I was just kept my seat back there. But God put a little thought on my heart, and I wanted to share it. Uh, and my thought was I wanted to say thank you to all the parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, guardians, friends, whoever, who brought these children up here this morning. Uh, that This children's choir is about as sweet as I can ever remember it being this morning. Uh, it's full. There's smiles across their faces. I just I felt the Lord just looking at them this morning. And so I want to say thank you for bringing them. Thank you for encouraging them to sing up here. And thank you, Barry, for, for helping them. I, I really appreciate it this morning. Uh, as we go to our classrooms this morning, let's be much in prayer. I can already feel God's sweet spirit this morning, and I just want to keep this revival that we're in. Terry talked about it in our ordained men's meeting yesterday. We're already in a revival this week, and uh, I just want to keep that going. So I'll ask you to be much in prayer this morning, but uh, I'll ask uh, Andrew Martin back there to dismiss us to our Sunday school. Well, it's good to be here. Appreciate everybody for coming to Sunday school this morning. And, uh, we enjoyed that opening up. Thought Jeremy did good. And so we're going to be in Matthew 21 uh, today. And this week and the next week is Palm Sunday, and then the following week is Easter. Uh, is the story leading up to, and then uh, the story about the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. So. Um, we're going to be in uh, Matthew 21 today in uh, 11 verses. I've got a few places I'm going to move around a little bit. And uh, I'm going to start in Matthew 16, and uh, we're going to start at the 13th verse. I'm going to read maybe seven or eight verses here. Um, and each of the four Gospels gives us that writer's perspective of Christ's life and then this this point in time here where we're maybe a week to two weeks out from the crucifixion and the resurrection uh, I mean about half of, of the Gospel of John is written about this time and so 
uh, we're going to talk. We're in Matthew. We're going to we're going to talk about Matthew. Talk about John's gospel a little bit, just to give some perspective of other things that were going on. Uh, and then I've got a few other places I want to read. So I desire your prayers. Uh, so. Matthew 16 and 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elias, and some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Which I love that, that question. Who, who, do you, who, is, who do you say that, that Christ is? I mean, it's a question that we all have to, to deal with. I love Simon Peter's answer. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Um, and then, uh, and Jesus answered, I'll just read all this. I started to not to, but I'll read it. It's, it's good. I love it. Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, I will tell you that I do not think Christ is referring to Peter as the rock that he's building his church on here. Uh, so, but that's, that's not really today's lesson, but I believe that Christ was referring to himself. Yeah, I think he's saying, you're Peter upon this rock and referring to himself I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound and in heaven, and whatsoever shalt thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples, and said unto them, Tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Now here's, and I read all of this to get really to this verse, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem. See, he knew it. We're, you know, a couple of weeks out maybe at this point. It's not real clear. Uh, but he knew where he was going. He knew what his, his uh, goal was and where he was headed. And suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So Jesus you know, a couple weeks out from where our lesson is today, or maybe maybe ten days, he starts getting them ready. He's telling them what's what's getting ready to happen. And so, uh, let's move on over uh, to Matthew 21, and we'll start uh, where our lesson is. It starts in the first verse. And so, they are, and and when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem. And were come to Beth Page unto the Mount of Olives, they sent then sent Jesus two disciples. So we'll just stop right there. So they're traveling, and they were they had been in Jericho, and in Matthew the twentieth chapter you can read and see where that he talks about that they had been in Jericho. And they left Jericho and they're they're traveling to Jerusalem. Uh, Beth Page is just uh, maybe a two miles approximately from, from Jerusalem where they were wanting to go. Um, it's pretty interesting, and I'll say this right now, uh, the last uh, two or three weeks we had lessons about the temple and how that uh, the children of Israel had been released uh, and had been allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Well, 
this spot where we're at here in today's lesson is right where Jerusalem is where the temple was. And so where he's getting ready to enter into is where Solomon's temple, uh, if, you, if you can use that term, was. And then the rebuilt temple, which is where our lessons out of Ezra had been. So Christ uh, is heading to Jerusalem. Now, some things that I want to tell you from just a perspective from a different gospel. If you read the gospel of John, you will find out there's a description about this same journey and this same time frame right here. As Christ was leaving Jericho and heading to Jerusalem, he gets to Bethpage, and there was a, a very popular somebody, once I say his name, you'll, you'll recognize what I'm talking about, that had lived there. And it was his friend named Lazarus. So the Gospel of John is the only gospel that gives the description of Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. But that happens right here. This is the point in time where that's taking place. Because right after Christ raised Lazarus from the dead, there's some description that falls right back in here and we pick up later in, this, in the Gospel of Matthew. But Christ leaves Jericho and travels there. And so that whole description about him getting word and knew that Lazarus was sick and waiting two more days and then traveled and gets there, that's right now. All right? And we're very close to the crucifixion. So Christ raised Lazarus and then just very shortly thereafter goes into Jerusalem and in our lesson today. And so I thought it was pretty interesting. I want to back up now and read just a couple of verses in Matthew uh, chapter 20. Uh, now this, I don't think this is actually in John's gospel, but when you put the two of them together, I thought it just made such a great point. And uh, let's see here. We'll, Matthew 20 and verse uh, 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called unto them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. So, two blind men is the only description that we get of who this is, who Christ is dealing with here. But I thought, how amazing that it is that he knew these two fellows were going to be there. So he knew two weeks ago when he was talking to his disciples and said, who do, who do men say that I am? He knew what was coming. He, he had the knowledge of what was getting ready to happen. And he knew that Lazarus was sick and then had died, and he was on his way, but and he knew what was getting ready to come. He had the crucifixion, a terrible thing to have to be thinking about there's these two blind men that I think this is the only time, and they may be mentioned in one of the other Gospels uh, description of this, but it so describes me because you know, I wasn't Lazarus, alright, who had been Christ's friend and was sick, 
I was just some blind man sitting by the wayside and Jesus was going about doing what he was doing but it so describes me so not an important person not somebody whose you know name is ever going to be memorialized here but I heard that Jesus was passing by and that was my chance think about this these two blind men they didn't, I don't think, I don't think they knew what was getting ready to happen in the coming week. If they had thought, well, Jesus is coming by. He's been by here a few times. He'll probably be back by again. I'll just wait. And maybe next week or the week after when he's going from Jerusalem back to Jericho for something, we'll, we'll call on him then. How would that have worked out for him? Um, it wouldn't, obviously. Because that never happened. He never made that way again. So we don't know when Jesus is passing by that that may be our only opportunity. And I've heard several people say, uh, and and my nephew Slate is one of them, uh, he said God had called him a few times, but he felt that day when, when God passed by that that was his last chance. That was these two blind men's last chance they didn't get their eyes open to that day they weren't going to get their eyes open so thought that was was kind of interesting Um, so jesus is is coming into beth page here and when he gets there if you want to go over into john and read about uh, the exchange with lazarus and raising lazarus from the dead you can pretty interesting that him raising lazarus from the dead according to john's gospel was the, the kind of the last straw for the, the Jewish community. Uh, they, they said, man, all these people are now coming here and they're seeing Lazarus. They considered killing Lazarus because of the fame that he was bringing to Jesus. But at that point, they made up their mind, well, we're going to have to do something to get rid of this man called Jesus because everybody's going to believe him. He's raising people from the dead. What a terrible thing. You know, I mean, it's bad enough. He's healing blind people and lame people and, you know, people that are about to die. But now he had the gall to go and raise somebody from the dead. We got to do something about this guy. So, all right. Anybody have any comments? All right. So, uh, Then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you. So where they're at right there, there were several villages that were pretty close. It doesn't say which one. But he he gives them these instructions. And straightway, right away, you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. So he's telling them, I know there's a spot over here. And there's this donkey. And, and, a, and a colt, go get them and bring them to me, all right? And he tells them, if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. So he knew that this was already prepared. He, he Again, he knew what was going on. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell ye the daughter of Zion... Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek 
and sitting upon an ass, and the colt, the fold of an ass. And so if you will look back in uh, Zechariah, that's the prophet that uh, Matthew was talking about here. Zechariah 9 and 9. Now this was hundreds of years before this is ta- our lesson has taken place. But this is what Zechariah had to say. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So Zechariah prophesied it hundreds of years before. And Matthew recognized that when this is all unfolding, that that prophecy is being fulfilled right there in front of them. All right. So um, so verse 6, And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. So he's getting ready to make an entrance into Jerusalem. And it's really the one time that he entered with some praise. I mean, all of the other times he really was saying, no, you know, let's, let's not do that. That's, that's not, he wasn't looking for a lot of uh, praise or compliments or people's, you know, adoration that way. He was looking at something else. So let's take a look at, um, it's kind of interesting uh, that he rides into town on two different animals, an ass and then the Uh, and it says he rode on both of them what do you think about that let's start here so far you know a few years ago one of our presidents flew into the Allen County Airport on Air Force One big jet and kind of go around and went to the tank plant and, and there's been other ones that have come in okay and they shut everything down, and they got great big limousines, and, and they've got their motorcade, all right? They got police cars shutting everything off. How funny would it be if our president, they said the president's coming to town, and you looked out, and he's driving along on a lawn tractor, okay? Or some small vehicle, just nothing, you know, just kind of riding along on something very modest, all right? It'd be unusual. That's not what we would expect to see, all right? In this day, if the king was, was going to show up, probably on a big stallion, some big animal that had a lot of, you know, flash and a lot of power, he shows up riding on a donkey, all right? So that's the first thing that jumps out here at me is, again, even at this time where the people are praising him and they're laying down, you know, palm leaves in the way and some are laying down their clothes saying, you know, praise him, you know, that's awesome. 
it was still a very modest entry. So what do you think about these these two animals? You got any thoughts on them? Any representation there of anything? Let me ask this. Have we ever seen a situation where that somebody really important was riding on an ass or a donkey in a similar... Is there someplace else we can look biblically uh, that would give us some reference points? Well, it just happens to be. Let's go over to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. We'll start right at the first... uh, Let me see here. Let's start at verse 3. We'll cut a couple of these verses off. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to thee. And let's jump down to verse uh, 7. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so they they went both of them together. Now, obviously just some great similarities. And we've all heard this exchange where Abraham took Isaac and was willing to sacrifice him. We've heard that preached sure everybody in here has that Isaac is a representation of Christ all right Isaac didn't take anybody's sin away but there was a lot of representation here and even you know one of my favorite scriptures I think is God will provide himself a lamb all right so Isaac's riding on this ass going to where that this uh, is going to happen and they've got the wood they go to a certain spot, and I gotta, I'll jump ahead back over here in my lesson. So Jesus rides the donkey in, but then he stops, and then later, when the crucifixion's getting ready to happen, he's got to walk, and he's carrying the cross. So again, Isaac's got the wood, carrying the wood, and he's walking up to where that this is going to happen. Wouldn't it be amazing if these two locations were the same place? Spoiler alert. Okay, so a few weeks ago in my lesson when we were talking about the temple that's in Jerusalem, I told you that you should go home and look up and see where that temple was built because it would be a blessing to you. Did anybody do that? Don did. Where'd they build that temple at, Don? Mount Moriah, right where Abraham took Isaac to offer him. And you know where... 
Calvary or Mount or Golgotha, you know where that's located? Mount Moriah. All three the same place. So that temple, which is obviously right here at Jerusalem, and Calvary, and Mount Moriah where Abraham took Isaac, it's all the same place. So uh, I just I thought that was just so neat when the Bible fits those things together for you like that. Um, and so um, I got to throw this out there because Ronnie gave me this uh, this morning. These two men, that the two young men that went with Abraham and Isaac, uh, I think, and I think they make a great representation of the law and the prophets. They could only go so far. They couldn't go where the lamb, which is Christ, they couldn't go where he was able to go. All right. And so let's get back to, does anybody have any comments on that? We'll go back to, back over to the lesson. But I, I had to make that little detour. It just connected way too good to not talk about it. All right. So back over uh, into Matthew. Uh, Matthew 21 and verse 8, I think is where we're at. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. So a very inspired entry for a man who spent his life, as I said, kind of deflecting that type of attention. He wanted, and he, he says here in Matthew in the, verse, in the chapters leading up to this, he came to serve, not to be served. And he told his disciples so many times, Whoever's the greatest among you, make him your minister. Make him the one who's, who's serving. Whoever is who you think is somebody good, make them your servant. That's the way that, that we should be. And he was trying to you know, let them see that if we've got hearts that are Christ-like hearts, we should be servants unto uh, each other. We should help each other when we're struggling. And we should also be servants for the world that are looking for this man, uh, Christ. Uh, because we're the only way that they're going to see that. We've got to let our light shine through us so that they can, they can see that. So let's talk a little bit about the Passover. Um, I wanted to touch on that because this is right where that this is at, uh, is the Passover. And there's some things about the Passover that also line up with this so well and with, with Christ. <clears throat> so the Passover started when the children of Israel were in Egypt. And God had sent plagues and had been afflicting Pharaoh and the Egyptians, encouraging him to let his children out of bondage. And they wouldn't do it. So God told, uh, told Moses, he said, I'm going to send another plague. And I'm going to kill the firstborn of every family and of every flock. But if you will apply the blood of a lamb, 
and a lamb without spot and without blemish, and that certainly lines right up with the description of, of Christ, without spot, born good, and without blemish, hasn't affected uh, itself by the way that it's lived. So it has to, there's two requirements there. But it has to be without spot and without blemish. If you'll kill that lamb and put that blood over your door, I'll pass over your house. And so that happened. And the children of Israel were instructed to do that on a yearly basis to remember what God had done for them and how that he brought them out of Egypt. Um, and so they started doing that. And they did it on the 14th day of the first month of the year. And their calendar, the way that they did their years, is, is similar to the way that we look at Easter now. Uh, their first month of the year was in the spring. And so their first month of the year would be in March, April time frame, just like we do with Easter. But it just points so many things towards what Christ uh, did and fulfilled by being this sacrifice, and he was the only one that could be this sacrifice as he you know, comes into Jerusalem here. But another interesting point that I thought uh, as I was studying this, when Christ entered Jerusalem here, he goes to the temple and they're selling different things and animals and essentially they've set up a market in the temple uh, which was not according to the law and so he ran them off and cleaned up the temple well, one of the things that was required before you would celebrate the Passover was that you would have to go through physically and clean your house all right so Passover was to be celebrated and eaten in your house, inside, not outside. It was to be eaten inside the house, and the house was to be cleaned before that Passover takes place. So even the act of Christ going to the temple and telling the people that were selling the animals there, and, and, and contrary to the law, even that all fits right in with what was happening under the Passover. And so he comes into Jerusalem here, and I don't want to get too much into next week's lesson and then, and then the Easter lesson. I'm trying to leave that alone as much as I can. But so much of this fits hand in glove. There was one person that was able to be the sacrifice that was born without spot and lived without blemish, who was able to be that lamb for us, and that was Christ. He was the only one that was able uh, to do it. And so, uh, does anybody have any comments? I've got one more point I'll make, uh, but i just give a, give a minute for any comments. Okay. Absolutely. So that's my last point I was going to make. Good question. I don't know if you heard Bill's asking, why did there have to be uh, an ass and then uh, a foal? And um, I give credit where credit's due. Ronnie helped me with this one this morning a little bit too. And so I, I think it makes a great representation of uh, the two covenants that 
that we have with, with Christ. And what I mean by that is we were born originally, we were under the law of God. All right. And we know none of us were good enough to satisfy that law. You had to be a lamb without spot and without blemish in order to satisfy that. We couldn't even be born without spot because of Adam. And we certainly couldn't live without blemish. So we couldn't satisfy either one of those. So man could not, and if you were at the ordination service, I, I touched on this, we had a huge problem. We weren't worthy and we couldn't get to worthy. All right? So that was that first covenant, and that represents the ass, the old donkey, the mother. All right? Now, back, I think it might be in Zechariah, I don't remember, but it describes this foal, or maybe Christ describes it somewhere to one of the, one of the, the writers of the Gospels has never been ridden on before. It was just a young, a baby, all right? It had never been ridden on before. Christ was the only one that could fulfill the law and bring in the grace plan. So these two animals, and I really think he rode both of them. I think he rode the mother for a while, and then I think he rode the foal for a while. Christ was the only one that could ride either one of them. He could satisfy the law, because of who he was, and he could bring in the grace plan. Well, what's grace? What's the grace plan? We didn't deserve it, but he gave it to us, and we did deserve hell, and he saved us from that. That's the grace plan. So that's the, the two animals. It's, it's the grace plan, and it's the law and, the, and grace. I, I think that is, fits it as, as good as I can say it. Does any of you, anybody else have any comments or questions on that? You might have a different perspective on it, but I think it, it fits real good. Uh, and I also think, if you examine it, that's why there was one ass for Isaac to ride back, even though he was a representation of Christ. I think there was just one animal back there. Anybody have any comments? There's, there's so much in this. I hope that uh, I've tweaked your interest on some of it. There's, uh, there's so many points about the Passover and the lamb and, and, and the requirements of that Passover and the cleaning of the house and the unleavened. Uh, I'll leave this with you. Uh, I heard Denny preach on this. only person I ever heard actually preach on this. But, uh, you know, we have communion uh, coming up, and that's a week from today announce that later. We drink juice, it's not leavened. It's 
just grape juice. What do you mean unleavened? Well, it's not wine. It's not alcohol. And we eat bread that's unleavened. If you had a body that had that was made up of unleavened bread and you put leavened blood into that body, it would be kind of contradictory if you think about it. It really wouldn't work. It wouldn't balance. Why would they have gone to the trouble of having unleavened bread only to have had leavened juice to drink with it? So just something for you to think about. And obviously we don't think that that's what the case is. Uh, the leavening is uh, taken out of the bread and out of the juice. And there's a reason for that. So just something to, to think about. I heard Denny preach on that once and it, it just stuck with me. And I've always thought that was kind of uh, a neat way to explain so any other comments? Brother Carl will be back next week, and uh, so be looking forward to that uh, Palm Sunday uh, lesson next week, and uh, you guys are dismissed. Thank you.